Imagine you're looking at a candle. What you are really seeing is a mere lump of wax with a thread down its middle. So when do the thread and wax become a candle? Or in other words, when do they fulfill the purpose for which they were created? When you put a flame to the thread, then the wax and the thread become a candle. The wax, the Rebbe said, is our body, the thread our soul. And Judaism is that flame that helps us because we are called to be. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 239, The Mitzvah Lamp. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. What is the best ending in English literature? For many, the answer can be found in the celebrated novel Middlemarch, written by Marianne Evans, who took on the pen name George Eliot. Middlemarch was one of Eliot's greatest successes, written some time after her beloved Mill on the Floss. The success is all the more striking because, rightly understood, it is a book about life's disappointments, about individuals that begin with dreams of greatness and realize at the end that they will not achieve these dreams. One of the central characters in the novel is Rebecca Brooke, who was born into wealth and comfort, but longs to do something truly great with her life. Everyone expects her to make a fine match to a young man and live in comfort, but her dream of accomplishment leads her to admire an older scholar by the name of Kesselbon, who claims that he is devoting all his time to analyzing the myths of all ancient civilizations and achieve thereby a breakthrough, a key to all mythologies. Rebecca feels that she can become not only Kesselbon's wife, but also his intellectual partner and thereby take part in his extraordinary achievement. All of Rebecca's friends are astonished at her choice, but she in turn feels that her drive surpasses their provincial ambitions or lack thereof. So she marries him. As the author Rebecca Mead notes, this book is essentially the reverse of an Austin novel. Here there is no profoundly happy ending where misunderstandings are overcome and love-lost individuals are joined and dreams are achieved. It is the opposite. In the end, her marriage to Casabon is a disappointment. He turns out to be a failure never having the courage or the nerve or the drive to take all his research and publish a key to all mythologies. He has no desire to truly partner with her on this project. And when he is dying, he knows of her admiration for a nephew of his, of whom he disapproves. So he puts a condition in his will that if Rebecca marries him, then she will lose everything she inherited from her late husband. In the end, she does marry this nephew, give up everything. And while it would have been easy to end the book with Rebecca and her new husband achieving greatness together, a finding with her second spouse, which she had been denied with her first. That is not how Rebecca Brooks' tale is brought to an end. George Eliot describes Rebecca as living largely in obscurity, but having learned from her experiences what truly matters, which is not fame but goodness. And Rebecca, therefore, devotes herself to those around her. In the final passage of Middlemarch, the author uses as a metaphor the Euphrates River, famed in both the Bible and history, and known as the river which King Cyrus diverted. The channels of the river Euphrates are less famous, but it is those channels that water the earth, impact it, affect it, allowing its produce to grow and thereby bring benefit to many. These channels are compared by George Eliot to Rebecca Brooke, and she concludes the book as follows. Her finely touched spirit had still its fine issues, though they were not widely visible. Her full nature, like that river of which Cyrus broke the strength, spent itself in channels which had no great name on the earth. But the effect of her being on those around her was incalculably diffusive. For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. In a wonderful article in the New York Times, Emily Smith of the Hoover Institution argued that of all novels it should be Middlemarch that students entering college should read because they entered the university with great dreams of fame and fortune that they might achieve. 
And it is important to warn them not only of life's challenges, but also of what truly defines a life well lived. Of the conclusion to Middlemarch, Emily Smith writes the following, quote, It's one of the most beautiful passages in literature, and it encapsulates what a meaningful life is about, connecting and contributing to something beyond the self in whatever humble form that may take. End quote. Emily Smith is right, and this passage might help us approach a verse in Proverbs about the luminance that one good deed can bring into the world. Chapter 6 of Proverbs gives us some famous verses. We start with what is discouraged. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among brethren. The biblical book then emphasizes again the parental role in religious transmission. My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. I find these verses very moving, because it is obvious that the book of Proverbs is comparing parental instruction to two famous Jewish rituals. The first is tefillin, phylacteries, bound on arms near one's heart. And the second is the recital of the Shema, which Deuteronomy declares should be said at the time of waking and of going to sleep. In these commandments, Tefillin and the Shema, the Word of God, words of the Torah written on parchment or recited from the text, is placed near our hearts and on the tip of our tongue. And now the Bible is saying in Proverbs that the transmission of the Torah, what we receive from our parents, the sacred truths from father and mother, should also similarly be constantly with us. This brings us now to a beautiful verse. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. The Hebrew here is kiner mitzvah v'torah or. The mitzvah, the performance of God's commandment, is a ner, a lamp, and the Torah, the word of God itself, is light. What does it mean to speak of a mitzvah as a lamp, reflecting the light of the Torah? We must understand how, in the small homes of the ancient world, a tiny clay lamp with one wick could suddenly bestow an enormity of luminance. Thus, the Talmud tells us that the presence of one lamp in a home could make all the difference of whether one has a peaceful Sabbath evening or not. Here, Proverbs tells us that one sacred act, one holy deed, can endow an enormity of radiance, changing the lives of others and rendering our own lives more meaningful. Emily Smith further reflects on why Middlemarch's ending is so instructive. She writes, quote, We all have a circle of people whose lives we can touch and improve, and we can find our meaning in that. A new and growing body of research within psychology about meaningfulness confirms the wisdom of Eliot's novel, that meaning is found not in success and glamour, but in the mundane. One research study showed that adolescents who did household chores felt a stronger sense of purpose. Why? The researchers believe it's because they're contributing to something bigger, their family. Another study found that cheering up a friend was an activity that created meaning in a young adult's life. People who see their occupations as an opportunity to serve their immediate community find more meaning in their work, whether it's an accountant helping his client or a factory worker supporting her family with a paycheck. As students head to school this year, Smith concludes, they should consider this. You don't have to change the world or find your one true purpose to lead a meaningful life. A good life is a life of goodness, and that's something anyone can aspire to, no matter their dreams or circumstances, end quote. Thus, as Smith tells us, a life of goodness is a life of meaning. But it's also true that seemingly small acts of goodness can have an impact that reverberates in a way that we can scarcely understand. The best example of this, which I cite often, 
is one that I came upon when I read a book titled Civility by Stephen Carter, an African-American law professor at Yale. Carter recounts how as a child, his family moved to a white neighborhood in suburban Washington, D.C., where he felt initially enormously uncomfortable. Carter writes, quote, I watched the strange new people passing us and wordlessly watching back, and I knew we were not welcome here. I knew we would not be liked here. I knew we would have no friends here. I knew we should not have moved here. I knew. And all at once, a white woman, arriving home from work at the house across the street from ours, turned and smiled with obvious delight and waved and called out welcome in a booming, confident voice I would come to love. She bustled into her house only to emerge, minutes later, with a huge tray of cream cheese and jelly sandwiches, which she carried to our porch and offered around with her ready smile, simultaneously feeding and greeting the children of a family she had never met, and a black family at that, with nothing to gain for herself except perhaps the knowledge that she had done the right thing. We were strangers, black strangers, and she went out of her way to make us feel welcome. This woman's name was Sarah Kestenbaum, and she died much too soon, but she remains, in my experience, one of the great exemplars of all that is best about civility. End quote. Carter goes on to discuss the obligation of acts of kindness in Judaism and the biblical teaching of human dignity stemming from our creation in the image of God. And he further reflects that this, quote, is part of what motivated Sarah Kestenbaum, our welcoming neighbor back in 1966, whose family was deeply religious. Religion offers a sacred language of sacrifice, selflessness, awe that enables believers to treat their fellow citizens as fellow passengers. But even if religion is the engine of civility, it has too few serious practitioners, which is why those who are truly moved by it to love their fellow human beings are so special. I learned that truth in 1966 when I discovered how a single act of genuine and unassuming civility can change a life forever. End quote. It is obvious, as one reads Carter's book, how profoundly that act of goodness by Sarah Kestenbaum impacted him and influenced his writing of this volume. This, perhaps, is what Proverbs means when we are told that a mitzvah, one righteous deed, is a lamp, bringing radiance in a manner more powerful than one might initially assume. Israeli ambassador Yehuda Avner describes in his memoir how he once met Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, who told him, as follows. Imagine you're looking at a candle. What you are really seeing is a mere lump of wax with a thread down its middle. So when do the thread and wax become a candle? Or in other words, when do they fulfill the purpose for which they were created? When you put a flame to the thread, then the wax and the thread become a candle. The wax, the Rebbe said, is our body, the thread our soul, and Judaism is that flame that helps us because we are called to be. So Avner recounts from the Rebbe in his book. Avner then reports that he asked the Rebbe, has the Rebbe kindled my candle? And the book tells us that the Rebbe replied, no, I have given you the match, but only you can light your own candle. It is up to us to bring light to the world, and we do this through the medium of the mitzvah, the sacred act, through which the luminance of the Torah is made known. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, wishing all of you a luminous rest of Pesach, signing off. <laughs>